Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode features a special guest from Mackenzie Gartside and Associates. She stops by to talk about the booming Comox Valley housing market, advice for business owners and real estate investors, and how she built her business right here on Vancouver Island. Our conversation starts now. So I'm Mackenzie Gartside. I am a mortgage broker with Select Mortgages. And Mackenzie Gartside and Associates is what we call our franchise locally here in the Comox Valley. We specialize in residential mortgages. We can kind of delve into commercial as well, but we prefer to stay in the residential area of lending. Awesome. Well, Mackenzie, I'm really excited to have you on. I appreciate your time today. Um, I w- to start things off, I want to ask you a little bit about the housing market in the Comox Valley. Uh, we see a lot of different things in the headlines about the Lower Mainland. Um, even in Nanaimo and Victoria, some stuff about just a lack of, of availability. But I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to you if it's the same thing in the Valley, if there's some different things going on there that are kind of different from the rest of the province. I don't know if we're that different. I know that we're booming. Uh, the market is insane here. We've had so many people move over from the, the mainland um, before. And of course, I guess we're still during covid Lots of people from Squamish and Pemberton. We have some really amazing recreation here. You can ski and well surf or swim in the same day. So that's pretty attractive um, for a lot of people. Our mountain biking scene is pretty phenomenal out in Cumberland. You can literally bike out your driveway and hit the trails. So um, Cumberland has been booming as well. The Comox Valley, is, as you know, is made up with the three separate communities, Courtney, Comox, and Cumberland, and then our regional districts. So the individual areas are all well, as locals, see it as one consolidated area. You know, in terms of, you know, comparing us to the lower mainland, I haven't really been following, it's been so busy that I haven't really been following a lot of the media attention around what the housing stats are in the lower mainland. I know it is busy, but it seems to be always busy. Here, our housing values have been increasing exponentially. I heard a realtor say this week that our housing values are still increasing at, so single family houses at this point, $6,000 a month is the average. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is, um, of course, decreasing affordability. Um, and it's really, it's a little tragic from like a local perspective because we do have, you know, the families that are multi-generational who want to buy homes in the Comox Valley, including ours. And we have a 19-year-old daughter, my husband and I, and it's going to be incredibly hard for them to get into the market because a single family house is listed around like $600,000. And that's kind of a First-time homebuyer, fixer-upper special right now, it seems. So uh, it's interesting times, for sure. Okay. Yeah. No, it is it is interesting. That's, that is fairly on par. The the dollar value is a little bit different, but it is on par with the rest of what we're seeing. Um, are those trends static for like condos and townhomes? Like, are, is there steady price increases for those as well, or is it a little bit different? Yeah. No, it's it's been bonkers. Um, we had these little... 400 square foot uh, townhomes on Tenor Drive here, right in like the thick of Courtney. And it's a good area for sure. Um, but they're only like, like I said, 400 square feet. They're so tiny for the Comox Valley. It's not our norm. And uh, when in 2002, they were listed for $20,000. And now they're selling for like 400 to $450,000. And it's, it's like mind boggling that that's all you get for $450,000 right now. 
Yeah, no, that is wild. I cannot imagine. So in your conversations with realtors and I guess in people throughout the region that you serve, is there anything that comes to mind for that or opportunities for the government to support people in making a housing more affordable or kind of improving the supply at all? Well, I just read an article that was interesting about what Langford has kind of proposed this week with their subsidies that they're going to help uh, first-time buyers or buyers, I think, in general, perhaps, um, under certain income levels with their down payment affordability. Because the tragedy with these home price values increasing is that rental values also increase. And if you're paying $2,500 a month for rent, and even if you're a dual income family, the, the jobs in the Comox Valley, although it's getting better and with inflation, it's getting even better, although affordability is decreasing, it's really hard to pay that much per month as well as live and possibly save up for a down payment. It's, it was impossible, not possibly impossible. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. The Langford story is, is pretty wild to see that. Yeah, we do have like the first time homebuyer incentive that the federal government put out, but it just doesn't work very well here. It really tries to force people to buy at a lower level than their maximum. So if a client would qualify for say 500,000, when you use the first time home buyer incentive calculator, the maximum purchase price that it would allow a client to purchase that is like 430,000, for instance. And unfortunately, you need, almost need to buy at your 500,000 dollar price point to get into the home that you want. So people are very, very limited, the amount of use we can get out of that program. Yeah, I, there's only, the only area that I know in Canada that it's been widely used, I think is Edmonton. For, and for whatever reason, I don't know if that's because their economy tanked and therefore that it, beca- it becomes a lot more valuable. But that was, because um, in theory, at face value, like, oh, it seems like a great idea, but nobody's using it. Yeah, so. they have high incomes, well, higher incomes because they are a city, a metropolitan area and lower home values. So it does really mesh well with that kind of Alberta market. We've done a few of them. I have a couple of contacts just through general um you know, business over the years through in Cranbrook. And um, we've been able to use that there as well. But now the prices in Cranbrook are also going crazy. Okay. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. The last question I've got for you kind of on the local market, are you expecting kind of a similar trend over the next three, three to six months? Is there any kind of big housing supply increases coming that you know of? Or um, Well, locally, we don't seem to be having like, they're building condos, they're building lots of rental units. There are definitely a few buildings that they're making, or they're, they're building that have um, some purchase purchase units as well. But most people want to own dirt in Canada. Like we still have that mindset of like the white picket fence. So I would say it's kind of stepping stone type housing. We're not getting the people still who come over here and want to buy, live in a condo and have that condo lifestyle. If you want that condo lifestyle, you move to Victoria or Vancouver and you get the city metropolitan kind of lifestyle. So there's not enough building going on in the single family home and they just can't keep up these four contractors and builders and developers. Want to jump a little bit into investing and advice uh, that you might have. Our audience is primarily kind of on the the business owner, business leader side, a lot of salespeople, uh, people with multiple homes or looking to buy, build out kind of a rental portfolio. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about I guess, first of all, someone who is self-employed, how can they best set themselves up to qualify for a mortgage? Claim all of your income. 
<laughs> don't do that under the table nonsense. Claim all of your income. <laughs> Basically, the, the lenders require you to have a two-year average of income for self-employment for the most part. So that's an A lender, a bank style lender. So they want to see a two-year average. And the government in 2016, when they changed the mortgage regulations, said that you can only use income that you claim personal income taxes on. So you have to pay those taxes in order to use that income to qualify for a mortgage. So if you're a sole proprietor and you um, had a $200,000 income and you've written that income right down to $30,000, well, guess what? You got $30,000 to work with for your home qualification and it, that's not getting you very far. So claim your income, you know, um, be fair with your write-offs. I'm not going to say reduce them, but, you know, don't be overly aggressive with your write-offs. I know as self-employed people, a lot of times, you know, you try to write off everything you can to try to minimize that income tax expense. But when you are a, um, when you're looking for debt, so you're looking to acquire mortgage dollars, you really do need to minimize that, pay your fair share. And so that you can get yourself into a position where you, um, where you qualify for your, the home that you want or to refinance. Okay. Awesome. No, that is very helpful. On the second, uh, the, I guess the second part of this would be for business owners or people with an existing residence looking to kind of build out uh, the start of a, an income producing portfolio, maybe looking at retirement, wh whatever it is, maybe call it a side hustle. Um, from your perspective as a lender broker, how can they put themselves in the best position to do that? Well, you need 20% down to buy a rental. So that can come from the equity in your home or it can come from savings. Um, you can pull, pull it out of your corp as well. Um, if you pull it out of your corp, of course, and you're buying the home or the rental property in your personal residence and you're paying income tax on that. Um, so you might want to start a holding company and look at buying revenue properties in a holding company. And I would encourage you to talk to your accountant about that. Uh, <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, but... Uh, you know, rental properties, uh, rental values are high, but property values are also high. And in the Comox Valley, taxes, again, three municipalities, uh, taxes are not inexpensive. So you really got to examine that cash flow very thoroughly to ensure that it makes sense. And right now, to buy a single family home for rental purposes, you're not cash flowing very much. So it really has to be like a dual unit. Maybe it's a, we call them Comox boxes, of course, um, a split level that you can jam a suite into the basement legally, of course, and then rent out top and bottom in order to maximize your income potential. Um, and then, of course, it increases affordability as well. Two units is going to be a lower level of rent. And then hopefully, you know, that gets more um, families into affordable living situations in the Valley as well. Awesome. Well, I think you've kind of answered that the follow-up question about maximizing returns, which is like you said, the Comox box, which is, I haven't heard that before, uh, but, that is very, but that makes a lot of sense. Anything else that sticks out there in terms of, you know, I don't know if it would be renovations or there's certain areas to look for within the region that you're seeing kind of higher returns or. Well, so illegal suites are, are we can use the rental income from an illegal suite to help you qualify for a mortgage. So we're seeing lots of people, you know, put the in-law suites, I'm using my fingers as quotation, uh, into homes and then renting those out to third parties. So, you know, if you can add funds to your mortgage, either through an equity takeout or through a purchase plus improvements mortgage, if you're purchasing a property in order to add a suite, uh, I mean, those are the type of improvements we're looking at. If you're looking at... Um, well, I guess it's just adding that extra suite. You need to, you need to increase your revenue, so you need to add a full extra kitchen. So 
whole kitchen, including stove, that's very key, and separate entrance are what need what are needed to use that rental income to help you qualify. So you have a suite in your home, personal residence that's going to um, rent for say fifteen hundred dollars a month. That's going to increase your qualification on your mortgage about thirty five to forty five thousand dollars. Not a lot but potentially enough to get that um, rep, find those funds you need to in, put the kitchen in. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I do think, especially now, every little bit is going to help. Um, so that is, I think that's great information. I want to jump a little bit into how you kind of built your business. Um, I kind of like, I've been working with this company for I think five or six years and I've seen you or your business grow fairly steadily since I've been here. So it's been awesome to see, but I'm kind of wondering if you can kind of just walk me through kind of how you got up, got into the mortgage industry and kind of how your business has, has got to where it is today. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I was working at CIBC. It wasn't a great work environment just in terms of, you know, promotion and the ability to kind of move up in the banking industry. I was actually, how I got into the industry is I was in University of Victoria and I got pregnant. So I moved back home. And then after my uh, period of like maternity leave, which was actually short, I went to, I went to banking at CIBC. I just needed a job that was professional, had good hours so it could accommodate the daycare. I was a single parent. And uh, it gave me a taste of what just general banking was about. My mom is an investment advisor or was an investment advisor. She's now retired. And so I kind of always aspire to do something in that industry. And Kira and I were talking about it and I was getting more and more frustrated with um, the general banking um, just industry. And she said, well, why don't you um, look at furthering your education and, you know, investment advising? I said, yeah, that would be great. And she's like, but you know what? You're too young. No one's going to take you seriously. No one's going to give you any money. And I'm like, at the same time, there was a gentleman uh, locally who was headhunting. He actually approached her um, to be a mortgage broker, and she kind of like waved him off and said, "Go talk to my my daughter." And of course, he had no interest in talking to me. But I tracked him down, and uh, we had a conversation. And I took the course and passed it. And then within about six months, I was his top producing broker because <laughs> I just needed to make money at that point. I quit the bank. I absolutely needed to do what I needed to um, to make it in the industry. So I just kind of like nose to the grindstone, no fear, and kind of did everything possible. I had no, I had no shame talking to people in grocery lineups or anything like that. That's tremendous. And so, I mean, quite a, quite a, a wild story. So you're working for him, you're a top producer. How did you start thinking about going out on your own? Well, I'm not on my own. I'm not okay. still not on my own. So I was with that company. And when I say top producer, it was a very, very small firm. Like there was like five of us. So like, okay. I don't deserve any like, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it was a very small firm. So um, when that company was doing some ch- kind of changes, um, we looked at some other companies and what their income structure was, and we decided to make a switch and we moved to select mortgage, which is had a bigger um, franchise. So they had more supports for us, things I thought would be useful. Uh, so we, when we moved over to them, it was, uh, it was pretty good. I mean, we didn't really hear from them as much as I was hoping. Um, being up here, we were like a remote location. I always referred to ourselves as like the redheaded stepchild, but they were just like, they're there, <laughs> they're working. And as long as they're making money, driving revenue, we'll just leave them be. Um, so uh, we've still, we're still with that company. So I'm still not independent. Um, so I'm part of that 
um, provincial franchise through Select Mortgage, and then Select Mortgage is part of a national franchise through the Mortgage Center. So we're Mortgage Center, Select Mortgage, Mackenzie Gardside and Associates. Interesting. Okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't know that's how those kinds uh, or how your sector was structured. I thought you were kind of like your own business that was almost like a franchise of, of, of select. Yeah. Well, we, we kind of are, we had to kind of develop that because we became big. Like our volume was too big just to be myself and an assistant. So we had to kind of um, add staff. And when you're adding staff, we need to develop a corporate structure. I could no longer do it under a sole proprietorship where it made sense. So um, yeah, so we were able to incorporate and that's where Mackenzie Gartside and Associates kind of evolved. Okay. That makes more sense. As you started compared to where you're at now, Obviously, there's different challenges and growing pains. Is there anything that kind of sticks out from those early months or years when you're when you're getting going, just kind of, like you said, nose to the grindstone and kind of where your business is at now, how those challenges kind of contrast? No, well, I mean, there's a lot more government uh, legislation in terms of how mortgages have to be underwritten now. I remember when I first started, it was 100% financing, 40-year amortizations, a pay stub or a job letter written on a napkin was sufficient. And now I need like 9,000 documents, it seems, for every single file, even the most, you know, secure and um, wealthy individuals who just want to help their kids. I'm making them jump through 99 hoops of fire in order to, order to obtain financing. And I would say that's the biggest frustration in the industry at this point is that there's so much paper involved. People get really, we call it document fatigue. Uh, so that, that definitely has changed. Um, and that has led us to hire more staff. So that required us to have someone at the front who can just accept documentation and scan it and save it. And then we have another individual who um, accepts all of the PDFs and not PDFs that come in through email and it changes it, um, formats those correctly so that then they can be submitted to lenders. Those are just two positions we absolutely had to have in order to maintain volume. And those poor individuals, <laughs> it's just the worst job, but they're lovely. They're <laughs> they're they're good not envious at all there um getting towards the tail end here one of the things that stuck out to me is that you see you seem to have a lot of community involvement whether it's nonprofits or or guest chambers or nonprofit as well but can you kind of speak to how or maybe why you've taken that approach or what's 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 driven so much involvement within the community well, sure, for sure. Um, so I grew up in a household where my mom was always very community involved and she was always volunteering and creating events. And so when you grow up in a household like that, it just becomes kind of natural. Like it's not that I wanted to do that necessarily. I just assumed that that is something that had to be done. So as part of your life, you, you know, you eat healthy, you work out and you are involved in the community and you work and you look after your family. And that is all we, that was my focus. So it was a more of a, it, this is just how we operate. Um, involvement with the chamber was a little bit different, but I was, you know, getting my feet wet sitting on a number of boards at that point. And um, the chamber was intriguing because it was so, you know, it was so involved in a lot of different community aspects. I hadn't looked into before so municipal level of government and infrastructure projects and just any actually out throughout bc they had a lot of um 
different information that we had access to. And I was very excited. It was exciting to know, oh, you know, I know what a development's happening prior to the general public. So it kind of, I felt like I had that insider scoop, which was kind of interesting. Um, and then they, of course, had um, so many connections to other local business people. So it was, you know, you always hang out with people who are of a like mind, right? In order, when you're um, trying to be successful, you want to hang out with people who are positive and you know, want to be energetic about their business and move things forward. So those people are involved with the Chamber of Commerce. And I, that's one of the things I really like about it. And the Chamber here is run by the most wonderful woman, Diane Hawkins. And she is just um, so phenomenal and such a leader and an, an inspiration. Awesome. Well, that is great to hear. We love Diane as well. She writes uh, monthly content for us. So big fans of her, big fan of hers. Management approach, your team has, has grown, you've added more people. Has there been a change in the way that you've, that you've managed them or that you've, I don't want to say matured, if that's the right way to say it from? Oh, I've matured. Okay. <laughs> can, can, so can you, is there something that sticks out like that in terms of how you've approached leading a team? Kind of. So initially it was just myself and my wonderful assistant, Lisa, and her and I were, well, we've been to working together now for like almost 15 years. Uh, so we were like best friends. Like there was nothing that could kind of connect us. We did everything together. Um, and then of course, as you add individuals, you, you only have so much space in your life and know so much time. So now the individuals were, were their employees. I don't see them on the weekends. I'm not messaging them about my daily quirks uh, necessarily. Some of the, sometimes I do. <laughs> and um, so I've developed more of a professional relationship with some of them um, as opposed to a, a friendship, which, you know, it's good in some respects because it, um, it allows me some separation and to look at things from a more professional capacity rather than this heartfelt empathy, empathy where I'm just trying to like mother everyone all the time. It's okay. I'll look after you. I'll take care of you. And I certainly bring that to all the employees, but I don't have to be quite involved in their life as much as I am with my initial couple of hires that are still with us. Uh, last question on, and on the professional side, is there anything coming up in the next few months kind of with your business that you want to promote? focus on events, Christmas programs, whatever that might be. Our chamber, or not our chamber, sorry, our Rotary Club is putting on a dinner series. So they're every two weeks. We just had one on Wednesday. So two weeks from, uh, from now, there will be another dinner. And it's part of their Everybody Eats campaign, which helps with the local food security and supply. There's some draws and raffles and, of course, these wonderful events. So there's three more events. So I would love it if people bought tickets and participated in these events. I think that they're wonderfully run. The Rotary team has done a really good job doing those. And one of actually um, my fellow mortgage board person, Nicomas Valley, Angela Zumbo, is putting that together and she's doing a phenomenal job. Awesome. And what's the name of the Rotary Club? I'll get the link in the description. We're in the, we're the Comox Valley Rotary Club. Awesome. Um, four quick ones to get you out of here. Favorite book or podcast? So I am not a reader yeah. <laughs> and I cannot listen to podcasts necessarily because <laughs> I have no time. I listen to uh, murder mysteries, which makes me incredibly skeptical and terrified of everything and everyone at this point. Um, while I do my makeup and that is all I have time for the rest of the time I am working. I yeah. work a lot of hours. <laughs> and murder mysteries. Is that, is that a, a, a show? Like, is there a no, like, um, 
oh gosh, these are, this is horrendous. It's like the Facebook um, videos, like YouTube videos. Okay. I'll put, yeah. I'll put, uh, crime dramas in here. Crime <laughs> drama. yes. Um, best, best personal advice that someone has given to you. Make it till you make it. So when I was younger and first got into industry and, um, looked super young, that would be one of the first things people would say, you look so young. I started wearing fake glasses to try to look smarter. <laughs> now these are real. <laughs> I probably ruined my eyes with the fake glasses. So now I have to wear real glasses, but uh, yeah, fake it till you make it. So I just, yeah, I'm pretty sure that is why I became um, successful initially is I just pretended that I knew everything. And it, and it, I mean, it just kind of evolved. <laughs> awesome. No, no, I do. I think that there's definitely truth there. Uh, app or piece of software you can't live without could be mobile phone app or something on your computer. Yeah, um, my favorite thing to play with right now is Google Sheets. I know that makes me super nerdy, but I'm always doing spreadsheets for clients. So I love Google Sheets. No, that's good. We get uh, that in Microsoft Excel. It's probably the most popular <laughs> responses. Yeah. Uh, last one for you. Favorite restaurant in the Comox Valley? Oh, I love Atlas. They're right next door. I just can't get over the Greek salad and Sandra Viney and, and Trent, the owners, but Sandra is just so incredibly lovely. Thanks for stopping by from the trenches, the business examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.